welcome back to another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nathan Druitz, local extension educator for Stearns, Benton, and Morrison Counties. And with me is fellow host and local extension educator, Claire Lacan out of Rice and Steel. How are you doing today, Claire? I'm doing well, Nathan. How are you? Not too bad. We're actually in Rice uh, Rice County again, right? We're yes. in Rice. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> you got it. right here, and it actually turned out to be a really nice day. I was kind of surprised this morning. It was a little chilly, and then went walked out about three, four o'clock this afternoon. Stepped outside and went, "Oh man, I don't need my coat anymore." No, not too often we get this nice of weather at the end of November. I'd say. Yeah. No, that is truly, that is right. You know, I'm not looking forward to going back up to St. Cloud here this evening because I know St. Cloud's going to start, it's supposed to get colder here. We're (laughs) supposed to get potentially snow as well. Well, we've been pretty spoiled as far as temperature, so I guess we'll take what we get. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, truly, definitely would agree with that. We've definitely been very lucky in terms of, of the weather that we've gotten so far. But, well, today we're actually at a new farm, and Claire, this one's down in Rice County, so I'll let you go and introduce him. Yes, we are at Tim and Tammy Little's farm, and I have to tell a quick little story. So, we're in Rice County, and uh, Tim is a farmer that I've worked with for, gosh, my whole career with Extension. And actually, when I was applying for the position to be Extension Educator serving Rice and Steel Counties... I was looking for farmers that were using cover crops and reduced tillage, and I contacted the Rice County Soil and Water Conservation District, and they pointed me to Tim. And so here I am, a new grad student, you know, out just got done with school, looking for my first job, and called Tim and asked him a little bit about his practices, and he sent me some photos that I used in my presentation that got me my job as part of my interview. So I just have to say that uh, Tim is awesome to work with and has been a really fun farmer that I've learned a lot from and hopefully helped him with a few things here and there too. Oh, you have, Claire. Yep, for sure. We like to geek out about soil and earthworms and things like that together. Well, geeking about, out about those things are, is kind of fun. I'm going to lie, that, that is kind of fun. So thanks, Tim, for having us on your farm today. And, you know, I gave away a little bit of the surprise here that you use cover crops and reduced tillage. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, uh, I grew up on a dairy farm only six miles from here. I didn't venture too far from home. But the land I've run here for over 40 years now, Tammy and I have lived here for 41. And... Uh, and I saw, I was, you know, I grew up working with Dad. I just loved, loved the farm, and I like, I just loved working in the field. And uh, when I think back, uh, it always kind of amazes me that this isn't anything new, what we're trying to do here. But it's a lost art. I mean, they were cover croppers back then because they had the rotation, and they had the dairy, they had the, the manure, they had the diversity. And we're trying to mimic that now and try to get out of this corn-soybean steady rotation that I think is depleting our, the quality of our soil. So it's that and working with NRCS on some different uh, waterways through the years and, and terraces. And, and I've just uh, learned that I'm, uh, I'm trying to control the erosion. That's what really got me started. I stumbled into this soil health thing by just trying to do different practices to try to keep the soil in place. And in doing that, I kind of got steered down this avenue and it's, it's so far 
I've, I'm just excited because it's, it's something new and I'm no, by no means any kind of an expert. I'm just trying to figure it out because I, I think we can do better. Yeah, and do you want to mention a little bit about why it's so important to keep the soil in place here where we're located in Rice County? Well, it's kind of a funny story. We, so we work with South Central to do our books, and, and our old uh, instructor that who we had for years was awesome to work with, and he called our area of Rice County uh, the Bermuda Triangle of Rice County. Because just because we're in pothole country here, we've got the hills and and the low areas that don't drain so easily. And with these big rain events, weather events that we've had in recent years, uh, we're just, I'm just trying to figure out a way to, to handle that better and, and, and weather some of these storms without doing so much damage to the soil. Because if you stop and think about it, the thickness on one square acre of of ground, the thickness of a dime, I always say, they, they say is five ton, you know? And so you look at a dime and it's like, jeepers, that just doesn't seem like very much. But where I've been farming for 45 years, you take, stack 45 dimes up and you're like two and a half inches of topsoil. And so when you think about that, yeah, a dime's not very much, or is it, you know? It's not sustainable. I just don't see how we can keep going that way, and you don't have to go very far from here, and you can see areas, I can point out areas from the road where they've lost two feet of, of topsoil, and uh, it's slid down the hill and into the lakes and into the road ditches and you know wherever else, and I just, like I said, I just think we can do better. Yeah, thanks. I, I know that's one of your measures is you I uh, have seen a reduced amount of erosion. Uh, what are some other things that help you see your progress or see that the, the reduced tillage and the cover cropping is working out for your farm? Well, in starting out, back, I started by no-tilling, nothing to do with cover crops. I just started no-tilling soybeans into the corn stalks. I've just got a case uh, 1,200 uh, set up pretty standard. It's got the Yetter trash wheels and I've now put uh, the air on those, air assist so I can adjust them from the cab. But uh, I started out doing that no-tilling and I noticed a difference in earthworms just by stopping the tillage. And, and then as it went along it just seemed like the soil was starting to change. Well then I got in 2013, we had a preventive plant year. We had a, a real wet spring. And I chose to take 40 acres and, and it was so wet I decided not to plant it. And instead I had a tiler come in and we did a tiling project on that farm. And then that fall, uh, our soil conservationist told me, he said, Jeepers Tim, if you're ever gonna try cover crops, this should sure be a good fall. And that's what we did. We put that into uh, cover crops after we got it repaired from the tile tiling. And uh, I noticed quite a difference in the spring. Again, I noticed a change in the soil, just the way it, it tilled. I, I actually worked it that, that spring to plant corn. But that on that 40 acres, so that was in 2000, the spring of 2014, and that's the last time that that 40 has seen tillage. Um, I've been total no-till on that on that piece with cover crops ever since 
Actually, I skipped a year. I stayed no-till. I planted beans in, in the spring of 2015 without a cover crop, but then ever since that farm's had a cover crop on it. And now, I'm actually doing a tile project out here on this farm, and you dig and the earthworms, and they're all the way down to, to where I'm tiling at, you know? And so I know they're open, that's my tillage. They're opening that ground up and uh, uh, there's nobody that's got tillage that goes three feet deep, you know? Um, so by letting them do their thing, you blow through that with a, a digger and it's just like a storm hitting your, your house, you know? It just destroys everything. And that's what you do when you, when you till the ground, you disturb what they've, uh, what they're doing on, on top there. They're dragging that residue in. A lot of guys will say, well, what do you do with the residue? Well, that, that just takes care of itself. They just devour it. It's, it's crazy. I, if, I've seen it enough, but it's, it still amazes me that they can take that much down the hole and just make it go away, you know? But that's what builds your organ. That's what starts the cycle of life, you know, is when they do that and then something else, they leave their castings and something else lives off of that and it starts the whole circle of life under our feet, so... Yeah, Tim, I think your earthworm comments are really valid. And, and of course, I find that interesting because my background is in entomology. And they're not insects, but they're other little, you know, critters uh, without spines that I think are fascinating. And like you said, those earthworms are really good at incorporating the residue and assisting in nutrient cycling and really with the amount of earthworms that you have out in your field, I agree that you have your tillage pretty much well done for you <laughs> Right. And from those respects. So I know that you're using cover crops and reduced tillage, and I could see that being a problem because you're not incorporating your cover crop into the soil. So what is your process for getting cover crops into your operation? Okay. So in my view, everything comes with a cost. It doesn't matter how you do your cover crops. If you, use, if you use a drill, we're up here in the North Country, and that's, and that's a very good way to do it, but the problem I have, I've also got a trucking business. I haul grain, so I'm very busy at harvest time. And to get out there with a grain drill and to seed cover crops after you harvest, a lot of falls. Now this year it would have worked perfect, but a lot of years it's wet and we don't get any sun and it's just hard to, to get them done and get that accomplished. So what I've, I've been doing is, is flying mine on and, and, then that's, and that's a lot of the reason is because of the workload. I like to get it on early and get it out of the way and this year it worked super awesome. We, we flew on, uh, in August, the third week of August and then we caught a rain before and after we flew, and, and it, I think every stinking seed grew. It's the best stand to date that I've ever had uh, for a cover crop for this time of year. But, but that's not to say that that's the way to do it. I mean, there's, you can put it on, and you can seed it in the spring. You can seed it in the fall. Some guys are, are doing the interseeding. I tried that a little bit. That's a challenge because you've got to know where you're at with your weeds. Um, it's, it's hard to get water hemp under control and, and to use a chemical to do that. 
and, and not use something that's going to injure that cover crop. And that's, I had a dandelion problem out here on this farm this past spring, so I used Acron Flexi. Well, that's, that's got a, that's a carryover, so yep. that's Long why, residual. yep. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I used oats and cereal rye this year. I had to leave the brassicas out of the mix. And I like having the brassicas in the mix because the more different ones you can have, it's like us going to a salad bar. We go down the salad bar line and we all take something different, you know. And that's the way the biology is in the soil, too. They all live off those roots and something different. So it's good to have that biology. But just to have the cover crop that I've got now, you go out there with those corn stalks uh, matted down and then that cereal rye growing up through it, it's, it just keeps that soil so in place. And it's, it's huge on water quality and it's huge on, on keeping the soil on the farm and, and not in the road ditch or... Or my fear is if we don't start getting some rain or snow and we still get if we start getting a lot of wind we could have a lot of wind erosion this year which isn't typical for our area but that's not to say it's not going to happen because we're really drying out again here now so right yeah that's a valid concern. I got a little off subject you were asking me how to so that's what we've gone I did try uh, I used the high boy and interseeded the soybeans, uh, the trit mix, trit, some, trit and oats, common vetch and uh, red clover, a little bit of, I think I had a pound of uh, radish in there. And that, that took real good too because we got a, caught a rain. That wasn't done as early as we did with the plains. We had more rain and a lot of heat after that rain after we flew and we were a couple weeks behind that with the high boy into the beans. I think if I had to do it over again I'd do it a little earlier. But that's a that's a one you gotta be careful too. You gotta know number one, you gotta know what you're seeding into the beans so that doesn't get a good take and and it could interfere with your harvest if it gets too tall and, and but the oats and the triticale in the fall, what we've noticed they come up but they're so spindly till they start getting good sunlight, that they almost act like a lubricant for the head. They really, they just kind of tip over. They don't really cut off. They've never been a, and it, and it grows up through what residue you do have on the ground. And it seems like it helps the header float better than it, sometimes with a bean head, you'll start pushing some, some stocks in that. And uh, we don't have any trouble with that. It seems like it goes a little better because of that cover crop growing up through it. So there is a, like I said, everything everything comes with a cost. I mean, there's, there's just, yeah, it works, the, the plane works good, but you don't, the cost there is you don't quite get out to the edges sometimes like you would. I mean, he's flying at 120 miles an hour, so excuse yep. me if I miss 30 feet, you yes. know. <laughs> but yeah. So. And and with that, too, you go a little higher rate when you're flying on, right? Right, yep. This past year, we did 85 pounds, uh, 70, yeah, 70 of cereal rye and 15 of oats. And the theory, our theory is on the oats, we're thinking that comes up, well, it does. It comes up real good in the fall. It gets a nice start, and, of course, it self-terminates. But in doing that, it's a scavenger also. So we're, we're thinking it's maybe feeding that cereal rye a little bit to help get that started in the spring. So 
Um, that's why we've gone to do, doing that mix, but we've done that the last two years. When are you seeing the growth? Are you seeing it when the canopy is dying back, senescing, or do you see it more after harvest? It comes up right away. Like this year where we got the rain, it comes up, it gets three, four inches tall, and then it seems like it stalls out until it starts getting sunlight. And I did notice a difference in the earlier corn, the 98-day corn versus the 103-day. I had a hundred and I think it was 103, 102, 103 day, but it was a leafier stock. And where the sunlight didn't get in as much, you could definitely tell that that's that's not as green. It's still there and it's established, so I think it'll be just fine in the spring. But I'm just saying it's not as it's not as tall this fall, right right now as we speak. And that 98 day corn, it, the rye is. Very green and yeah, yeah, very well established. I don't know, it's probably eight, ten inches tall. Yeah, it's like I said, it's the nicest stand I've had for this time of the year. That's interesting. In in terms of, you know, some of those observations there. You know, I guess well, I'm, I want to do just a quick rewind here because we, you know, we got to talk about the history of your farm just for a few moments and we got into some of the practices that you're focused oh, yeah. on now. And I just want to take a quick rewind back. You've been here 45 years. 41. 41 years. Okay, so 41 years. You've clearly seen quite a bit in the last 41 years and changes in what you've done as well as changes in the area. What are some of the most influential things that you've seen on your farm, changes that you've made over the course of 41 years, you know, looking back at, you know, year 5, year 10, year 15, what are some of those changes that has led you to this point that you know, you you said here, you're just trying to do better. You're not necessarily the expert, but you feel like we're we're not doing what we can. You're trying to do better. What have you seen across that time that has influenced that, and that you have used to try to reach that goal? The big thing was, we used to plow, moldboard plow the corn stalks. Everything had to be black. Flat and black was awesome, you know. And in doing that, of course. What I've learned now, when you look back, it's like, what, what were you thinking? Because number one, I, I, I look at soil temps quite often, and that black soil gets so warm, number one. But the erosion, I, we've got these hills here, and, and, I, and I just saw erosion and silting. I saw silting. Right at my driveway is a good example. I had a waterway in there, and you'd plow and leave the waterway, but we get spring rains, and when I'd mow lawn, I'd see black silt piled up. In fact, sometimes I had to shovel it and throw it back into the field. And so the moldboard plow, and then the other thing was putting anhydrous on. We were putting anhydrous on on the bean ground in the fall. And in those tracks, it's so nice to have the nitrogen on, and it's just one less thing to do in the spring. But you look at those tracks, when you get up on those hills and follow those knives where the anhydrous was injected, and, and it's washed, right, it just, the water runs right down those tracks. And it was nothing to see coming down a clay hill, you'd see a four to six inch little valley where that knife ran, you know. And the real eye opener for me, I was, I was out with our soil conservationist, Tom Kaufman at the time, and that's where this whole dime thing really resonated with in my mind. 
he saw a swirl mark between the corn rows. And he says, Tim, you see this? This pattern of the soil here? It's just a swirl. He said, that's, that's the thickness of a dime. He says, that's five ton going down this hill. Just that little swirl. Well, you compare that to a tooth where that anhydrous was, and you've got, it's just rinsed out, and you can see it's rinsed out, running right down the hill. Think of that soil that's, that's leaving. So that moldboard plow, and then we, the, the anhydrous knives, we switched from the moldboard plow to the disc chisel. Then I, in 91, I bought the disc chisel in the Halloween storm. Oh, yep. Stayed out late, didn't take the kids trick-or-treating because I was, had to get everything, had to get everything uh, black, you know. <laughs> so I, I did that that night till I couldn't pull it anymore in the snow. And I think back, what an idiot. If, you know, now I just wouldn't even own such a tool and I would have taken the kids trick-or-treating. But So then I switched, I had that for about 10 years and then I went to a DI, DMI ripper and in the same, when I started seeing how the soil was changing, no-tilling the soybeans into the corn stalks, and then adding the cover crops and the additional earthworms, and the way the structure, I went to enough cover crop meetings where they explained that if you pull that soil apart, it should just crumble, it should come apart, and it shouldn't snap, you know? It's, it's like comparing a sponge to a, a chimney brick. Really, that chimney brick would just snap or a sponge would just tear apart, and our soil is the same way. And mine now, you take it and you put it up to your ear and it just sounds like Velcro when you, when you pull it apart because it's all the root hairs and the, and the glues from the insects holding it all together. So it's just those different methods, and then in, in each time I changed, I saw an improvement on less soil moving. And and now I'm just I'm just tickled pink not having to do any tillage. I got rid of that DMI ripper this this fall. That that left. So I'm I'm a no tiller now. I got nothing to till. Well, I got a digger I can till in the spring. And I and I still need that because okay. So you have one of our worst tools that we use as far as making tracks is our sprayers. And I but. Uh, so I use the digger in the spring if I've got to run around and fix it. I don't do any full-blown tillage. I just go around and patch till where I need to. And this year you did a little bit of strip tillage. This Yes, this last spring. So that's, that's one thing I'm trying to learn too. So planting soybeans into corn stalks, is, it's just, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's just I've had really good success. To be quite honest, I haven't had a failure with that system. I think I've raised just as good a beans as the neighbors, or when you start comparing your input costs, maybe mine didn't yield as good sometimes, but I think in the end, return on investment is about what we're after, and I think I was right there with them. The problem I've got is, is no-tilling corn. Like I said, we're in the North Country and pothole country, so our soils are variable. We've got We've got dry hills, and then you go down through the ravines, and they might be, might be damp. So to get that to dry out, to get a perfect excuse me, seed bed, it can be a challenge. But I think 
the cover crop has helped with that because that growing crop helps suck that moisture out if, if, if you can manage that right. That's a tool, that's hard to learn too. But I had some triticale this past year at a field. We dried out the last part of April and, and it was warm. We had just a really nice spring to plant. But that triticale got tall enough, it got about a foot tall and it was thick enough, it got into the growth stage. And when it gets to that point, it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's pulling nutrients, but in pulling nutrients, it's pulling water, and that ground can get hard, and it did get hard. So I couldn't do it. what I thought was a good job of planting, so I had a, a friend come over with a uh, uh, strip-till machine, and he, and he ran that through and made strips for me, and then a day later, I planted, and I planted beautiful. That, that's... Some of the, that is the best corn I've ever raised in my life. I guess I could honestly say that. That field, uh, yeah, this year, where that corn came from with the drought that we had, we're all, I know the whole, our area is all pretty amazed at the crop that we had. But it really worked, worked out good. So that's one of the, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Number one is weed control, try to, to handle this water hemp. And and number two is, is that perfect seed bed and get that corn started in the spring. I've gone to placing my nitrogen. That's been a big plus. I've, been, I've put down 20 gallons with the planter, actually 17 and then three gallons of ammonium thiosulfate. And my uh, zinc is in, in that two by two. And then I come back with the Y drops and, and I've cut back, I think, probably 20% on my, on my use of nitrogen. And part of that is cover crops, no-till, but part of it's placement, too, just because I'm placing it right where it needs to be, right when it needs to be there. So that's, that's been a big savings. I mean, think about putting it on with the planter and then when it's waist high versus in November now, with it like we used to do with the anhydrous, I, I, I just think it's it's way better to put it on right right at planting. Doing that split application. Yeah. Yep. Something that I thought was rather interesting here because I've I've made this analogy myself and I actually uh, you mentioned brick versus sponge and I like that analogy because I know here a couple of years back I had a couple I had a guy who we were in one of his wet spots in his field was out there and actually bent my shovel trying to get it in the ground. Oh. So I don't know if you've had uh, any of those experiences in terms of ripping, you know, partridge tillage implement, trying to get it through some of those harder areas. But that was a bit of an eye opener for me was trying to get, cause he was wondering what was wrong with his, with his corn. It was yellowed out and it wasn't looking great and it was in a low spot. So, you know, we, we lost, you know, the nutrients are out of it, but I stuck my shovel down and I literally jumping up and down on my shovel, like it's a pogo stick, trying to get it into the ground so I can get a root up and, you pull that thing out of there, and it's just like a brick. I mean, right. it looks like something, you know, I'd, you compare that to something like what you're talking about underneath cover crops, you know, and it's something we see under pastures a lot too now, you know, where you just, you dig up that soil, and it just kind of crumbles in your hand, and it just, it looks so much better. It comes apart a lot better. It looks, you know, and, and it just, it holds together. It does, it, it's almost kind of weird in how that looks, because it looks like it'd fall apart, and then you stick a bunch of water in it, and it just kind of holds together. Oh. And, you know, and so I think on that front, I, I like that analogy of brick versus yeah. sponge. Because it has those pore spaces like a sponge does. Yeah. That's why, yep. 
And we've all got our test areas right right there by us. A lot, a lot of us. I didn't think to to check this, but you go over the fence row with a shovel, with a probe. Yep. I've got I've got a what do you call it? Check the compaction. Of, oh yeah, uh, penetrometer. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And uh, you do that in the field. And, and it's like, holy cow, this cover crop's really working nice, you know. And then you go over in a fence row, and it's just like you're sticking it into a stick of butter, you know. And, and then you go over where they're disc chiseling, and I, can, and I can take that tool and I can tell you how deep he's going. Because he might have had a hard pan that he's, that he's tearing up that he put in with the digger last spring. But what they did is they just created another hard pan about six inches below that because you got a hard pan right off the end of that tooth. And I've, I've noticed that quite often. Have you noticed, because you know, I mean, you talked about you used, used to use moldboard plow, then you would disc chisel, and then you were using a ripper for a bit there. When you put, you know, when you use it in your own fields, are you noticing that when you're getting down to that depth that you used to plow out, that, that, that the plow pan is disappearing? Yes, it, I think the earthworms, because I was out here you gotta you gotta watch where you check it because you watch where the combine ran. That mess, everything does a little damage. And we've got a 700 bushel grain cart, so that's that's compacting. But where you go, where there hasn't been anything driven, and and there's spots out here where there is no hard pan anymore. It's it just goes in the steady all the way down. So. How are you dealing with your head rows? Because I know that's something that a lot of no-tillers talk about is the compaction on, especially where you come into the field and exit mostly. How are you dealing with the compaction in those areas? So far, I haven't done anything different. Um, I try to get something growing there for a cover if you can, because that's huge in, in, in breaking that up. But so far, I haven't gone in with any kind of a tillage because what I've the cover crop meetings that I've been to, a gentleman, I don't know his name now, but a soil scientist from North Dakota, he, he was telling us that you can't fix, in, in his studies, you can't fix compaction with tillage. You've got to do it, his analogy was, you have to do it with roots, you know? And, and I think he's right. And I, I think if you can just get, we try, I'm real fussy, and see there again, I only run 300 acres, okay? I enjoyed farming, but I've got a trucking business too, and if I've tried to do it all myself, that's all the more I can handle. But I'm fussy, I'm not, I'm not gonna go out there and make a mess. And I think that's huge too, if you, if you watch when you're, and most times you can work around the weather a little bit, you know, you've got that window. But as, as you get into this, and you get the earthworms working, I don't think you get the compaction that you would have with full-blown tillage every year. I don't know that, because that, you haven't got the biology working for you to, to keep that, that, get that soil working for you, and so therefore it, it turns to a brick easier, you know, and, and quicker, I believe. And I think some things with reduced tillage, too, is that you're really waiting for the conditions to be right to get out into the field as well, right? I mean, so that in itself helps with reducing compaction because you're not pushing it as much as you can anyway. You're not, right. you're not pushing it on the field. Well, 
Because you see guys with those, now they got the inline rippers, that's the big thing. If they think they've got a real hard pan, they go out with that, and that takes an immense amount of horsepower. I know, my, I got a buddy that did a farm over here, and it was actually stopping him. Oh, that was wow. a year ago? Yeah. With a big tractor, and then, and it was slabbing up. Oh. Wow. I mean, and think of the, the tire pressure yeah. down for us. And I, you're, you're taking care of the, the compaction layer at this level, but now you, now, now you got a new one down here. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. No, and, and that makes a lot of sense when you, I mean, just, just from a sheer common sense perspective, it makes a lot of sense, I think. So, well, thanks uh, for joining us here t- today, Tim. If you'd like to know more, Please go to z.umn.edu backslash local. You can find both Claire and my own contact information there to our offices, and you can ask us any questions. Or if you have ideas for other growers to come on the podcast, you can recommend recommend them to us there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Field Guide Podcast. And stay tuned for more episodes.